Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed for November 28th, this week we, uh, we have our big day. The day of the Tuesday of giving, giving Tuesday. We're excited to talk about this and what's going on. Nick, hope you had a great Thanksgiving and enjoyed family time. I know you had a, a massive amount of uh, uh, of humans eating turkey together. We had a massive amount of humans eating turkey, multiple turkeys, I should say, but it was super fun. And happy Giving Tuesday, George. I happy am really Tuesday. sorry. I didn't get you anything, um, but what I do have for you is some predictions. Uh, we are starting out with our 2022 Giving Tuesday predictions, and we're going with the headline, search is down, hope is up. We're seeing some conflicting factors. So whole whale, which is us, <laughs> we write the nonprofit <laughs> newsfeed whole letter, uh, newsletter, and we, as in you, Predict a record-setting $3.2 billion to be donated for Giving Tuesday this year. And our prediction is the result of an analysis based on an adjusted linear regression. But we also take a peek at things like Google search terms around Giving Tuesday and broader national giving trends. So using this method, we have officially predicted an 18% or $500 million increase over 2021's total amount raised. So this is an optimistic prediction, but there are several negative indicators uh, that could potentially uh, be pushing down this increase, in including headlines regarding uh, inflation and economic pains. We just came off an election cycle. Maybe folks are tired of giving. Um, and we're potentially returning to kind of a post-pandemic social engagement environment. That being said, we're seeing online shopping trends from Black Friday set new records. So it seems that even though we're all talking about the economy, the consumer uh, sector, particularly on Black Friday, did real well. So George, what's what do you make of this? Has the 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 predictor himself, uh, the chief guesser and chief whaler? Yeah, I am excited. Ten years of Giving Tuesday. I mean, this is the 10 year anniversary uh, of how it's come up. And, you know, it is pretty steadily in terms of donations uh, increased at a, at a decent clip. One of the things, though, that I am seeing, and this is tough because there's some lagging search data when I'm pulling it up. But right now, uh, it, it is, it, it's trending behind um, by, uh, call it 10 to 20%. It's hard to pin it down exactly year over year, but it is, certainly not exceeding previous years of Giving Tuesday. And if you look at this trend for the past five years of uh, Giving Tuesday in search, why I care about it is that I'm hoping that it becomes a regular recognized holiday on par with, you know, the other major players, you know, Halloween of, you know, Black Friday of things that you will see in terms of increasing search. And, and frankly, over the past five years, it has been uh, its peak 
its peak in terms of search-related trends and uh, questions in the United States being asked has decreased. And this has seemingly continued into, into this year. And one of the things that you need to happen for a holiday is continued awareness. And part of that awareness, and this is a proxy, but part of that awareness is the number of people putting in related queries to, to Giving Tuesday in and around the holiday. And, you know, hopefully this isn't uh, fatigue setting in, but we'll see it. Um, we'll see the results in terms of, of dollars. And maybe, uh, maybe it's just one of those things uh, that finds, uh, finds its level of awareness, but a different level of giving. So I'm, I'm still optimistic about uh, giving because, as you mentioned, <laughs> people are, are still spending despite threats of recession. Uh, looming overhead and hopefully that continues and you know we we've been telling people to check their check their real-time analytics to pay attention to look at it uh, i think it's an important time also as you're looking and reviewing like okay how did it go how's our donation form like this is the kickoff to giving season but also this is the last year this is the last year that your current universal google analytics will work will show you conversions, will show you where donors are going. This is it. This is the last December you have with the old version of Google Analytics. So just for funsies, take a look, if you haven't already, at GA4, Google Analytics 4. It's the upgrade that Google is forcing all clients to move on to mid-next year in July of 2023. Take a look at what it looks like in terms of your donation tracking and flow, because that's what you're going to have this time next year. I mean, this won't be the last time I talk about it, but this is your last season. So this is a good time to be taking notes of what you, uh, what you may need to plan for next year, next season. But right now, pay attention, make sure donation forms are working and you're doing your best with your email messaging to get people in the door. Yeah, George, those are great points. We'll wait to see the final numbers. But if you're listening to this today, make sure you check your forms. And something we say at Whole Whale is always remember to thank your donors as well. Um, and if you follow the news feed, you can see some links to some best practices around fundraising, thanking your donors, and all that good stuff. All right, I can take us into the summary now. And this is an article from Nonprofit Technology uh, news was reposting from uh, comonews.com, uh, which talks about uh, in Seattle, Washington, um, a Seattle-based nonprofit called Housing Connector has part partnered with a local technology firm Zillow, which I'm sure you've heard of, to help more than 3,700 pe homeless people move into affordable housing. And this was over the past three years. And I'm going to guess, George, that we put this in here because we love a good public-private partnership. It seems here that Housing Connector had a system for seamlessly connecting landlords to qualified homeless tenants, eased the friction in that process. Of course, with anything administrative, um, it, it's really significantly harder for folks experiencing homelessness. And in addition, uh, with assistance from Zillow, we're able to get homeless folks into housing because um, we are experiencing a housing crisis in these United States. So this is just a real cool example 
of tech and public-private partnerships creating real results, at least in Seattle, Washington. This is exactly right. Their, their housing connector, they're talking about the efficiency that it gives case managers at the tip of their fingers. Like the alternative here, the alternative here is that communities, municipalities pony up for incredibly expensive databases to manage and maintain, really, because you need live data. And the truth is the public market has already created this. They're paying for it. Zillow is doing just fine because of their knowledge of uh, real estate networks. And this is the, the type of partnership that creates efficiencies and really uh, focuses resources on affordable housing, which if you pull the thread on so many societal ills in the United States, so many of them, that thread leads right back to affordable housing in areas that have access to resources. It's all that. Um, and so I love seeing Zillow uh, being a part of this and, and hope other, uh, other districts to take a look at this, uh, this housing connector versus, you know, the question of like, wait a minute, we have to build everything internally and go this, um, go this other route. So, uh, yep. I like highlighting stuff like this. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's a, a cool story. We hope more of this happens. The moment you've been waiting for George, our next story is from market watch. And the title of this story is charities funded by Sam Bankman freed of the infamous FTX fame has been asked to return donations to nonprofits that FTX's fund had given money to. So the background on this is FTX is a cryptocurrency exchange created by Sam Bankman freed and the whole system collapsed a couple weeks ago in what was a liquidity crisis that essentially created a digital bank run. And it's much, much more complicated than that. But anyway, uh, this exchange collapsed, but its founder was a very public proponent of the effective altruism movement, um, potentially to market himself and uh, divert attention away from other potentially illegal, if not uh, morally questionable actions. Um, but anyway, the funds that the foundation has given to nonprofits, um, there's a potential that in an effort to repay um, folks who have debt in, in FTX, there might actually be clawbacks. Essentially, uh, through the, the process, nonprofits might have to give some of the funds that they got donated back to the foundation, um, which is devastating to these nonprofits. And it seems that a couple of people might be stepping up to kind of, you know, provide cover for these nonprofits so it doesn't happen. Um, but George, I mean, this is, this is terrible, and uh, I have I have more thoughts, but I want to I want to get your thoughts on this first. Well, this is just you know watching one one shoe drop after another in terms of the the level of fraud, which frankly is not the first time we have seen in crypto or frankly in financial markets in general. You don't need to have that long a memory to realize that, yes, this was in the level of the $16 billion fraud, but there was a level of 60 plus billion by Bernie Madoff, also a very well-known philanthropist. And all that actually happened in that case as well. 
which is just an important note to to nonprofits receiving some of these donations, which is just brutal for them. You know, you're making plans, you're hiring, you're saying, hey, finally, this capital plan strategically done is going to happen. And suddenly you're, you're now dealing with a potential, you know, pullback of funds and that, you know, over a hundred nonprofits, I believe in the days of Bernie Madoff and that crash uh, received such clawback notices. And so coming back to this character, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, the damage is, is still being calculated. Um, and, and albeit less money, there was his deep, deep connection and association with the effective altruism movement. And there is some soul searching that needs to be done. And part of that is that when people make pledges, especially those that are in the public spotlight, that are seeking investment, that are seeking to build and effectively pay for a, a moral cause washing, a official stamp from media and investors alike that I am one of the good guys. I am one of the people out there making positive change. You can trust me with your funds. Which, by the way, he was gambling overtly with customer funds. That's not alleged. They can see that now. Uh, and this was clearly paying the price to, in the same way he keep bought a stadium rights, right? In Miami, the FDX arena, he was buying the movement of effective altruism to burnish its reputation. And now, even beyond that, you know, the, the call of effective altruism is using data and research and logic and making the best possible decision to solve the causes you care about. It's aligned with a bit of utilitarian thinking that even if I do uh, morally corrupt jobs, questionable, and this is coming directly paraphrased from a quote in a paper written by one of the main philosophers behind uh, McCaskill, William McCaskill, one of his papers talks about taking morally questionable jobs because somebody else will do it anyway, as long as you promise to make large donations in line with effective giving, effective altruism. This is a very tough moral justification to play, especially when you play it at scale. And the fact that teacher pension funds were actually somehow rolled up in this as well and now are, are left empty, um, all for the, the grand total of pledges that Sam Bankman-Fried made. Yes, there was some money made uh, and donated, but that money is now even being clawed back. I want to say it as many times as, uh, as possible, but when you see a millionaire billionaire making a pledge, it's called PR. They're making PR. They're not making donation. They're not changing society. They're making PR, public relations. I want to look good for something I haven't done. I think everyone's red flags, red cards, tie in some World Cup, should be high, high alert. When we see pledges, they're worth the paper they're written on and maybe even less. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Net-net, uh, this is not going to end crypto philanthropy in the same way that Bernie Madoff didn't end family foundations and, and fiat giving. Uh, this is not going to end effective altruism, though it's going to push for some soul searching and 
um, a lot, a lot more questions about, well, how morally bankrupt can I be and still make that tithing at the end? The church did this a while back. Look up the history of tithing. It's quite interesting. It doesn't go well. All righty. <laughs> I, I mean, more rant to come, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's good to, to turn around and look at the power of, you know, billionaires and philanthropy um, and the detriment uh, that can, uh, can be caused. Yeah, George, I, I really appreciated that. For our listeners, maybe they're just this year, they've started experimenting with crypto donations. Maybe they have a way to donate uh, cryptocurrency to your organization. I think this situation has led to a crisis of trust coming from a lot of different directions. If you are a small, mid, or large-sized nonprofit, how do you instill trust for people who follow this and may be a little jaded by the whole thing? How do you as a nonprofit communicate trust? So you're saying for, like, if you're accepting crypto philanthropy, crypto donations through your site, there may be questions of how, you know, like this is all a fraud, right? This is the, the top line banners. One, you know, remember that roughly 40% of millennials actually have and own cryptocurrency um, and are able to, to sort of use it. And I would say some of those parallels to just because Enron existed doesn't mean that the entire equity market was a sham, that you shouldn't accept stock donations. The truth is when you accept crypto, uh, it is, if you use at least the giving block, full disclosure, whole whale, um, manage that, manages with them as a client, they're a client of ours. Uh, but once that donation is made, it is immediately liquidated. So I don't care if you are getting some sort of animal coin or a Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever it may be. Once it hits that donation form, it is processed into fiat hold on to your dollars type of things. One of the questions, however, is as with any other donation, is that if it was ill-begotten and it is of high scale, uh, it, there could be suspect to clawbacks if there are legal proceedings. So maybe that is actually one maybe large takeaway that when you receive a large donation, um, don't start counting those chickens um, just yet and, and making sure that that is money you can hold on to. But uh, I, I would say keep going and it is, um, it is a minor setback. And if you really parse into it, you're like, oh, I thought crypto was all on the blockchain and it was all transparent. How, how could this level of fraud be? Is, is because this was a classic Ponzi scheme of centralized control over these assets. There are abilities on the blockchain to have your own wallet, the same way that you have a wallet in your pocket with $20 in it. And you're like, as long as I hold this, as soon as you hand that over to a Lehman Brothers and they start leveraging the heck out of it, and you're like, I know I can get my $20 whenever I want. That's where the centralized trust comes in. And this particular company was based in the Bahamas with no regulation, oversight, financial responsibility, board members, or um, frankly, asset back checks involved at all. And so when that happens, that's, you know, that's just human error. That is uh, human fallibility. It's hard to say like, all right, you know, give that diatribe to anybody asking. 
But I, I'm hoping that this isn't a knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, we got to pull our crypto off because it is all a scam. It's like, it's not. Scams get perpetrated on top of it as, as they do with every other financial market. And this will set probably uh, the crypto space back. Um, they're saying, you know, a year or so um, as there's ripple on effects. But um, the underlying, my confidence in underlying technology uh, remains and people are still building on it. George, I think that's a great synthesis of all the different kind of threads that nonprofits should be considering. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks, months, um, as we do follow the crypto philanthropy space. I but... should say we've got a, a, a webinar coming up here too. Um, I don't know when you're listening to this, but on, I should know it off the top of my head, December, I'm going to say first, <laughs> December 1st. So check out uh, that webinar. It's at wholewell.com. Um, you can find it on our webinars section. That is an awesome reminder. You get to listen to us live, not me, um, but you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that. You do that. <laughs> well, George, speaking of uh, wealthy philanthropists, um, we wanted to highlight uh, someone who is skeptical of them. Uh, our next article um, comes from NPR, and the title is Pablo Eisenberg, a fierce critic of nonprofits and philanthropy. Critical out of fierce love, I guess you can say, um, has died at age 90. Um, so Eisenberg, who was someone I didn't know until I read this article, um, is a professor, nonprofit leader, a social justice advocate, just really, really cares about um, issues of equity and justice, and apparently was somewhat famous for kind of sticking it to the staid, old, outdated, um, however he perceived it, kind of traditional philanthropy space. Um, it says here, chastising prosperous donors for giving disproportionately to Ivy League schools, rich hospitals, and well-endowed museums, all while getting tax breaks. Um, so it seems like kind of a, I don't know, sticking out for the the little guy in the the philanthropy space, but seems like a titan nonetheless within the the philanthropy space. Yeah, I mean, I put this in here also uh, because I think you know this as an outspoken critic, uh, you know, often said of mega billionaires out there uh, that pledged, there's that word, pledged, red card, pledged to donate the majority of their wealth, uh, were not spared desire because he, uh, he criticized them for not giving away more of their fortune immediately. If you have it, give it away, do the work, do the work now, and gets even more frustrated watching these towering offices be, be built um, around giving away this money as opposed to doing the work. Uh, so I do, I, here's what I would say. I, I do believe when you're giving away that level of wealth, you must probably be very careful um, about giving it away in ruinous ways. But um, I, I like the sentiment in there. I like it too. I think this guy deserves a movie. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. I don't know how many other people would. It was a little niche, but I'd watch that movie. Yeah, maybe. Netflix, Netflix has had a documentary budget for that. For sure. All right. How about a feel-good story, George? What do we got? This one comes from ktvq.com, and it is about an organization called Adult and 
15 challenge, which is a faith-based recovery program for men and women that suffer from addiction. And they are selling live Christmas trees to raise money for program costs to help teens and other young adults experiencing addiction and needing recovery. And we do like a good seasonal article. And I don't know what says uh, seasonal fundraising, um, like a Christmas tree sale. Nothing not to like here. Yeah, it's it's great. And I also love these earned, uh, earned models um, that usually can be program related, but certainly around the season. When people are buying, you, if you have the ability to, to match a program to something that can be purchased is a way for you to generate some earned revenue, which can be put to good causes. It's great. All right, Nick, got a, got a question for you. Oh boy. Yep. What should an unwell nonprofit Twitter campaign do? An unwell nonprofit not Twitter well, campaign? Not well, not feeling great. Not feeling great Twitter campaign. Oh man, what, what do they do? Nick, they should uh, get tweetment. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. Look, oh they made it to the end of this podcast. They deserve that. All right. Have a good one. Happy Giving Tuesday. Happy Giving Tuesday. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 